are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Uh, I want to talk about the Bible today. I creatively subtitled my sermon, Best Book Ever. Because it is. It is. You know, Lance always wants to, uh, he always wants to come up with something funny at the beginning. So I searched far and wide and I came up with this, this uh, comic here. 911, hello? My buddy and I just found a bunch of sea scrolls in trouble. Please hurry over, they might die. <sighs> they didn't make it. And now we have the dead sea scrolls. <laughs> Honestly, if you have the sense of humor my mom's side of the family has, this is the funniest thing you've ever seen. Like, I've been laughing for two days about this. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I want to talk about the Bible today because the Bible is under attack. It has been for a few hundred years now, um, but it gets worse and worse all the time. And it's under attack by people. They want to be free of its moral constraints, and they want to be free of the salvation message because what the Bible says is very specific. And so what they have to do in order to be able to do whatever they want, which is usually the goal, is they have to get around what the Bible says. And so today I'd like to show that the Bible is truthful, that it's reliable, and that it's still relevant to our lives today. Those are my, the three things I want to cover. And so the, the big question then is why, why does the Bible matter? And you know, C.S. Lewis said it better than anyone I've heard. He says, you know what, if the Bible's false, it means nothing. But if it's true, it means everything. The good news is, most people that slam the Bible really don't know what they're talking about. They misquote or partially quote someone they kind of heard once a while back that lined up with whatever they wanted to believe. Because sadly, that's the goal. I kind of said it already. The goal is that they, they want to be able to believe whatever they want to believe. They don't want to believe what's true. And of course, we believe the Bible because it's true. The Bible is not true because we believe it. That's good old moral relativism for you there. They, well, it's true for you. No, it's true. It's just true. And so when you're talking to someone about the Bible, and, and more and more commonly now, it's like, you believe the Bible? I didn't think anyone believed the Bible anymore. It's like, no, we believe the Bible, and we have good reason to believe the Bible. And so when we talk about faith and faith in the Bible, oftentimes what other people hear is blind faith. And there's a difference between faith and blind faith. The dictionary definition of faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So, for example, when you came to church this morning and you sat down in that chair, you had faith that that chair was going to hold you up for a few reasons, right? One, it looks pretty sturdy. They look good. We've had them for several years now. And being church people, we always sit in the same spot. So you've probably sat in that very same chair before, right? And it always held you up. So you had faith that that chair was going to hold you up. But blind faith is faith with no evidence. And the good news about the Bible is that we have tons of evidence to believe in the Bible. We have manuscripts that go back all the way to the time of Christ and forward from there that people have dedicated their lives to studying. And they said, okay, like, how, what's the transmission of knowledge over the last 2,000 years? How can we confirm that this is true? And they've studied it and they've been able to track the transmission of knowledge through the last 2,000 years. And the Bible we have today is the Bible they had 2,000 years ago. And we can have great confidence in that. Uh, Lee Strobel 
he was a journalist in his, his former life, and he set out one day, he said, okay, you know what, I'm going to disprove the Bible. I know how to research, I know how to do all this stuff. So he sat down, he dedicated two years of his life to this. And at the end of that two years, he became a Christian. Because he, the more he dug, the more he found, wow, the Bible is what it says it is. It's the word of God to us. And then I did want to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls briefly because they were an important step forward um, in Bible verification. They were found in the late 40s and the early 50s of the 1900s, really not that long ago. And um, the best part about the Dead Sea Scrolls is they found an entire scroll of the book of Isaiah, and they were just thrilled. So they rolled it out on the table, they were so excited, and they compared it to what they had already, and they found they already had it. They didn't have to change anything, and it was amazing. It was amazing. And that particular scroll is dated right around the time of Christ. So while Jesus walked the earth, someone wrote that scroll. It's just amazing. So Bart Ehrman, um, he's kind of the most well-known Bible attacker that's out there right now. And he was a Christian. He went to Moody Bible College. He went to Princeton Theological Seminary and studied under um, uh, Bruce Metzger how to study the Bible and how to confirm that the Bible was true. And he found some inconsistencies, and he ended up losing his faith. And it, it's quite a story. And so now he's an agnostic. So, and in, in, in the world of, of what you believe, there's, there's theists. So you believe that there is God, that's us, in Islam. Um, there's atheists, they believe there is no God. Then there's agnostics, and they say, well, you can't really know. So that's where he landed, because he knows, he, he's not ready to become an atheist, because there's too much out there that he knows already. But he said, you know what, I can't believe the Bible anymore. And so he wrote a couple of books, the most... Uh, well-known ones called Misquoting Jesus. And a lot of people read it, and they said, oh, well, obviously the Bible's not true anymore. But you know what? Bruce Metzger, who was Bart Ehrman's professor at Princeton Theological Seminary and taught Bart Ehrman how to do what he did and is widely recognized as one of the leaders in the field, studied all this stuff, and he came to the conclusion that, you know what, we can believe the Bible. So if someone tries to throw Bart Ehrman in your face, you can just know that there's guys who have looked at exactly the same evidence and come to the conclusion that the Bible is as it is supposed to be. So unfortunately, the other thing that's happened is the Bible has been misused. And because it's been misused because it's been taken out of context. So I just want to talk about context a little bit today. So what is the Bible? Is the Bible a scientific document? No, but there is some scientific information we can glean from it. Is it a historical document? No, but there's a lot of great historical information in it. And in fact, the more they dig up the Middle East, the more they find amazing things about the Bible that are true. And there's actually a magazine called the Biblical Archaeological Review, which I'll be honest with you, I haven't read it. <laughs> but I listened to guys that did, and, they, and they're just reporting thing after thing after thing. The more they dig, the more they find out that the Bible is true. It's just amazing. But that's not really what the Bible is either. The Bible is a story, a narrative about God, and his people, how he created them in perfection, how they rejected perfection and sin entered the world, how he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins because the wages of sin is death, so that we can have a chance to obtain that perfection again in the next life. That's a really brief synopsis of the Bible, but like, that's what the Bible is. It's a story about God and his love for his people. And so we need to look at the Bible in that large context, and then in the smaller context of whatever part you're reading. And... Um, I started this a long time ago when I, I first started preaching. I started thinking, about, well, I don't want to misquote the Bible because that's wrong. 
So you start reading, I started reading 10 verses ahead and 10 verses afterwards of the verse I wanted to use, just to make sure I was getting the context right. And I've heard other people talk about it too, and it's a simple way just to make sure you're getting the gist of the area of the Bible and then the specific verse. And so I have some examples of how um, the Bible is taken out of context. And this first one, it's, it's a funny one, it's a little sacrilegious, and, I, and I'm sorry, but it went around the playground when I was a kid. It's like, you know, the Bible said Judas hanged himself, and Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. Right? <laughs> I mean, the person that knew, who, who said it, knew what he was saying was wrong. It was just trying to get a dig at somebody, right? That's a funny one. Unfortunately, it hasn't always been funny. The Bible was used to justify slavery for an awful long time. Um, there was a group of people that used it to justify no missions work. And that one blows my mind. What's the Great Commission? Go into all the world and make disciples of all men. That's pretty straightforward. That's basically the last thing Jesus said before he went back to heaven. But then it also says in another part of the Bible, you are responsible for what you know. And so their theory was, if we go out and teach, this was Africa in, in, in particular, if we go teach the Africans about Jesus and they don't accept him, it'll be worse for them after they die. So we don't want to do missions work. Right? That's just foolish thinking. Foolish thinking. Thankfully, it wasn't a common one. And the Bible's also been used to justify polygamy. And I found this little comic here. Do you Solomon take this woman to be your lawfully wedded 700th wife? You think after a couple hundred weddings, it wouldn't be that much fun anymore. <laughs> like, All right, fine. <laughs> God's plan was not for polygamy originally. And, and so we can see it's very easy to take the Bible out of context. And I also briefly wanted to mention translations. Um, there's a lot of modern translations like the NIV and the King James and the New King James, the Revised Standard Version, English Standard Version. They're pretty much all good. Um, all the modern translations are, are very accurate. They're done by groups of PhD and multiple PhD people who have spent their entire lives studying the Bible. I mean, the one guy said, I like the ESV because it's a very careful translation. It's like, you know what? They're all very careful translations, and you can use them to study from. I actually found it more, more helpful to look at what the purpose of the translation was. Like the, the King James Version and the ESV and those other ones, they're fairly literal translations, and they're meant to try to stick to the original text as much as possible. The NIV falls somewhere in the middle, and then, for example, the Message Bible, that's a paraphrased Bible. It's not meant to be a study Bible, it's a reading Bible. It's written today's language and that kind of stuff. And that helped me understand the translations a lot more when I looked at what the main purpose was behind it. And like I said, if you, if you look hard, you can find an expert to recommend any one of them. They're, they're all good translations. And so I want to move on to relevance now. Um, is the Bible still relevant today? So I want to talk about the Ten Commandments first. And of course, no conversation about the Ten Commandments is complete without Charlton Heston being involved. <laughs> so everyone my age and older is like, yeah. And everyone my age and younger than me is like, who's Charlton Heston? It's like, well, back in the day, he was the man. If they'd have made Avengers back then, Iron Man would have been Charlton Heston. He did the epic movies. And he played Moses in the movie The Ten Commandments back then. But let's take a look at The Ten Commandments real briefly here. Exodus 20 says, And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So what God's doing here is establishing his authority for what he's about to say. And you've got to remember, when, he, when God said this, they had just left Egypt. It hadn't been that long before. He had just brought all the plagues. They had seen all the miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, and they had left Egypt. So this was all fresh in their mind when God was saying this. And so he's just saying, look, you need to listen to me. I have the authority to lay down the commandments that I'm about to lay down. So let's look at the first commandment. 
You shall have no other gods before me. We are made to worship. And unfortunately, because we're sinful beings, we often choose to worship that which we are not supposed to worship. Fame, power, money, whatever it cho we choose to, to worship. And, and it's unfortunate. So we need to be very careful that we choose our priorities to be the right priorities, which is God first and everything else comes afterwards. And the next verse follows quite closely in with that. It says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So, I mean, back in that time, it was very common to have graven images, idols that they worshipped. And, of course, um, as the Ten Commandments were coming out, Moses stayed on the mountain too long, and they made an, uh, an idol, a golden calf to worship, right? So this was happening right during this time. And so God's trying to say, look, if that's not okay, I am the Lord your God, you will worship me only. Now today we don't generally do that, especially in Western society. We don't carve things to worship, but we pick people to worship, things like that. So we still do this. It's still very applicable to what we do today. If we move on to the next commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And so... I mean, we've come up with all kinds of ways to swear that don't have anything to do with the name of the Lord anymore. But the fact is we need to be careful in our speech. One of the most common texts that people send is, is a misuse of the name of God. And so we just need to be aware of what we're saying because it says right there, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You know, in our 24-7 society that we live in now, it's hard. It's hard to have that day off. I was a shift worker for 10 years, so I went to church two Sundays a month because one Sunday I was on days, one Sunday I was on nights, and it's hard to, to set up your life in the traditional fashion, but it's important. I mean, God created us. He knows what we need, and he knows that we need time to rest, time to recharge our batteries, or we'll burn out. And so whether or not you're a shift worker or you're Monday to Friday kind of guy, you need to find a way to set your life up such that you have these periods of rest when you can recharge yourself and get back in the saddle and ready to go again. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your Lord your God is giving you. You'll notice it doesn't say honor your father and mother if they're honorable. It says honor your father and mother. And so your parents are to have a special place in your life. And this is the only commandment with a promise. It says, so that you may live long in the land your Lord has given you. I think specifically here God is talking about what became Israel after they were done wandering in the desert. That was the land the Lord their God was giving them at that time. But the fact remains we need to honor our father and mother so that it may go well with us. Verse 13, you shall not murder. I don't think we need to talk about that one a lot. We're pretty much on board with that one. That's the law. You shall not commit adultery. Um, this one especially bugs me. It, it happens every day, and I know murder happens every day too, but um, in Christian marriage, when you stand at the front of that church, you commit yourself to that person for better or for worse, richer and poorer, sickness and health, but that's not how people look at it today, sadly. It's like, well, they're not meeting my needs anymore, so I'm going to go get my needs somewhere. My, my, go get my needs met somewhere else. There's no, they don't understand that there's a promise and really nobody thinks it's okay to break a promise. When you make a promise, you intend to keep it. And then there's a covenant. A covenant is a promise times a thousand. It's a very special thing. It's a very special moment, that moment of marriage. And people don't treat it with the same reverence that it needs to be treated. So we need to be careful with that. You shall not steal. 
I don't think there's much to be said about that one either. There are certain cultures where it's okay to steal from people of other cultures, but you're still not supposed to steal from your own culture. Well, if it's okay, it's okay. If it's not okay, it's not okay. And it's not okay. And we all know that. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Uh, generally, this one's equated with lying, and lying's wrong. But this is really more saying, like if, if you have knowledge of a situation and people ask you for that knowledge, you have to tell the truth. You don't get to bend the truth to help the person you know or not help the person you don't like. When you're asked for, if you, for something that you know, you need to tell the truth. And the last commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And it's a funny comic. You'd better not be over there coveting. <coughs> coveting his neighbor's house. Yeah. It's funny. <coughs> it's funny. But of course, we live in Cold Lake, and it's a very prosperous area, lots of big houses, big trucks, big cars, big boats, big fifth wheels. So there is a lot of coveting that goes on. The whole keep up with the Joneses thing is alive and well in Cold Lake, Alberta. And so we need to remember, um, life does not consist of the abundance of our possessions, right? Where does our value come from? Our value comes from the fact that God created each and every one of us individually and that he loves us. Our value does not come from how big our house is. And if we can grab onto that and hang on to that, stuff becomes a lot less important to us. So that's the Ten Commandments. Some of them are laws. Um, the rest of them people understand to be good practice. You know, so this was written, I think, approximately 3,500 years ago was when the commandments came down. So they were relevant then. They're every bit as relevant to our lives today. I want to talk briefly about Ecclesiastes. Most scholars think that Solomon wrote it. And Solomon lived from about 1,000 B.C. to 930 B.C. It's about 3,000 years ago. And the base message, if you start reading it, he just says everything is meaningless. I've been there. I've done that. I've done it all. None of it had any meaning. But if you keep digging in there, you start to see that he says everything is meaningless without God. And you know, Ravi Zacharias, he, um, he's quite a well-known speaker, and he's targeted his ministry to the thinkers and the influencers. And so he gets to meet a lot of important people. And so some people invited him over to Hong Kong, and he sat down with a guy. He said, tell me your story. What, uh, how'd you become a Christian? And he said, well, me and my business partners, we sat down, and we had a deal for land and building for $6 billion, all cash. We closed the deal. Everything was good. I sat there at my desk and realized I've never felt so empty in my entire life. And that's a story that's so, so common if you listen to successful people. They've striven, they've gotten to where they want to get to, and they realize that it's all meaningless, that they've never been more empty. So this guy called his wife and said, Dear, um, I feel terrible. I want to go to church. And she said, Okay, we can go to church, but if we're going to go to church, let's go to this one over by the building we own so we don't have to pay for parking. I think, you just closed a deal for $6 billion and you're worried about $20 for parking? But rich people, hey? <laughs> and so then that, that guy later got saved and committed his life to Christ and, and it's um, Dion Sanders I don't know if you remember Neon Dion from back in the day he said the worst day of his life was the day they won the Super Bowl he got a huge bonus when they won the Super Bowl he called and ordered his Ferrari his custom Ferrari and then cried because he felt he said I never felt so worse in my entire life as the day I achieved everything I wanted to ever achieve and because achievement is meaningless without God so that was true 3,000 years ago. It's still true today. And then I also briefly wanted to touch on Proverbs. Uh, funny enough, 
I talked about context earlier and told you not to use single verses, and we're going to go to Proverbs and use a bunch of single verses now. But um, context, right? The first nine chapters of Proverbs are more narrative, but after that, it does get into these one, one sets of verses that are meant to be read as one sets of verses and then applied to our lives. So chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. So you mean to tell me that excessive alcohol consumption is not a good idea? True 3,000 years ago, true today. I mean, even the people that do it know it's not a good idea. They do it anyway because they think it's fun, but it, they know it's not a good idea. Chapter 20, verse 10, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So what specifically he's talking about there is they would have the old school scales. So you'd have the two plates on one side and say, okay, I have two pounds of wool I want to sell you. So you put it on there and he takes his weights out, which are supposed to be accurate. And he comes up and he says, okay, that's 1.7 pounds of wool. It's worth this much a pound. Here's your money. And he puts it behind him. And the next day a guy comes in and says, hey, I need that ball of wool. So he puts the ball of wool on the scale and he gets his selling weights out. And he puts them on there. It's like, okay, 2.3 pounds of wool, it's this much a pound, give me the money, he gives them wool, he walks out. So they'd shave their weights and add to their weights, and they'd make money on both sides of the transactions. So that's specifically what that's talking about. But basically that's saying, we need to be honest. We need to be honest in our financial dealings. We're not supposed to rip people off. Chapter 20, verse 13. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. So that's not saying you shouldn't get a good night's sleep. That's saying you shouldn't sleep too much. Don't be lazy. Don't be afraid to put in a good day's work so that you can support yourself and your family. 21 verse 5, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So you mean get-rich-quick schemes are a bad idea? So they must have had some kind of multi-level marketing back in, in Solomon's time, right? So... It's, this, and, and I wanted to point out too, this isn't a guarantee that if you have a plan and you execute the plan, you're going to get rich. This is just saying that if you have a plan and you execute the plan and it's a good plan and you work hard, chances are things are going to work out for you. But if you try to cut corners and you try to make a fast buck here and there, it's not going to work out. It only leads to poverty. And the last um, verse in Proverbs I wanted to talk about was 21.13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Um, there's another verse that says, Lord, Lord, when did we do these things to you? He says, I say to you, when you did them unto the least of these, you did them unto me. We are to remember the poor and the less fortunate among us. We're not to close our ears to those. If God blesses us, it's so that we can in turn be a blessing to those around us. And we need to remember that because if we turn, it's very clear, if we turn our ear to the cry of the poor, we will not be answered when we need help. So that's, that's five verses out of Proverbs, and there's hundreds of verses in Proverbs. But you can see how these verses apply to our lives today just as much as they did back then. So if someone starts to say to you, look, I can't believe you believe the Bible anymore. It's an old book. It doesn't matter today. You can know the Bible matters today. What the Bible says in it matters today. So application. Um, information without application is useless. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Any VBSers out there? This was the memory verse yesterday, and it's an excellent memory verse. <laughs> right, stand strong. In James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. 
right? When we hear the Bible, we need to apply it to our lives. So how do we apply this knowledge to our lives? Well, there's no substitute for time in the Bible. You want to understand the Bible, read the Bible. The more you read it, the more you'll see the bigger themes and the narrative that's woven throughout the Bible, and you'll start to understand it more. So I'm not saying I read the Bible for an hour every day. I don't want you to misconstrue this for some reason. Of all the books I own, the Bible's the hardest one to read. You've got to apply yourself, spend time in it, and then you'll start to get it. And the thing is, your, your specific situation you're facing right now may or may not be in the Bible, but you know what many are. If you're feeling depressed, the Psalms are full of, of um, David crying out to God, how much longer, Lord, must I wait? Because in that time of David's life, the, him and a group of guys were living in caves of the mountains while the king's men chased them and tried to kill them. And he had been anointed king, and he's like, God, I'm supposed to be king. How is this going to work out? How much longer must I wait for you to vindicate me? There are also Psalms of victory when David was feeling good. And funny enough, even the Psalms of when David's crying out to God, he says well, at the end, yet Lord will I trust you. Because he knew that God had him safely in his hand. There are also many stories of uh, people we consider to be the heroes of the Bible making huge mistakes. And we can see how it affected them. Um, Noah, after building the ark, he spent 120 years being ridiculed building the ark. And then he builds the ark. They land again on dry land. He grows grapes, ferments them, and passes out drunk and naked in his tent. It's like, man, how can that happen? This guy had been so close to God, and then this is what he does when he gets back on dry land. Uh, Peter denies Christ. Jesus says to Peter, get ye behind me, Satan, when he tries to get in the way of what Jesus is trying to do. And at the same time, Peter was the leader of the early church afterwards. So we can make huge mistakes, and God forgives us, and we can recover from those. And so what happens if our specific situation is not in the Bible? Well, you know what? Then the principles we need to base our decision on are there in the Bible. And we can look for the applicable parts, find them, and we can use those to base our decision on. So a few questions you can ask yourself. Um, is this a good decision or a bad decision? And funny enough, my wife came up with this. We're trying to teach the kids. You know, our kids are 9, 7, and 4. We're trying to teach them what's right and what's wrong. And so we catch them doing something wrong. And say, okay, is this a good decision or a bad decision? It's a bad decision. So why are you doing it? Okay, let's move on, right? And so it's a childish concept. It's simple. But how much grief could we have saved ourselves if we'd have just asked ourselves this simple question, right? Walking down the street, oh, she's pretty. <laughs> good decision or bad decision? <laughs> Right? I'm a married man. That's a bad decision. Simple question to ask yourself. Another question, if my mom knew I was doing this, how would she feel? Yeah. Right? Would the people that you love and look up to think this is a good idea? And then uh, for the last point there, there's a guy named Andy Stanley. He started a church in Atlanta for unchurched people, a church that people who don't normally go to church would like to go to. And I really appreciate his take on things. And he said he spends a lot of time on good decision-making. And he said, you know what? Everybody's life is a story, and we tell that story to people all the time. So this decision that you're about to make, 10 years from now, when you're telling your story to someone, is this going to be a good part of the story, or is this going to be a bad part of the story? And it's like, wow, what a great way to think about what we're getting into now. So in conclusion, we need the Bible now more than ever. Um, as Western morality spirals further and further out from its center, which used to be the Bible, um, we need that solid base to build our lives upon. 
And like I said, what I've tried to show here today is that the Bible is true, that the Bible is reliable, and that it's relevant to us and those around us. And it does remain the most important book that's in existence. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.